No ordinary. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. So, no ordinary acceptance, no ordinary sacrifice, no ordinary uh, unity, no ordinary steward. Now, steward is maybe one of those um, churchy words. It said a lot, maybe you've heard about it in the stewardship campaigns, or we want to be a good steward of our money or of our resources, and I, I understand that. Sometimes those types of words that we use a lot can kind of get lost. Uh, their, their meaning can kind of get lost because we use them all of the time. And so I'm always a fan of, of taking words that we use all the time that we don't always think about what they actually mean. And just like sort of reminding ourselves of what it means to be a steward. When we talk about stewardship over something, or when we talk about what, what we're really talking about is um, a manager. Anyone here a manager? You manage anything? Okay, very few people are managers. All right. Uh, are you awake this morning? Are we like, right? Do we need to do some jumping jacks? No, not enough coffee. Does anyone manage anything? Do you manage a household? Do you manage employees, right? Do you manage your, you know, kids? Like, you manage things, right? Okay, you try. We try to be managers, right? Managers, um, they're, they're, they're caretakers, right? They, they are entrusted to something. They're, they're, they're entrusted to, to take care of something that, they do not own, nor did they supply, right? So I'm a manager of some things as part of my job here, but I don't, I, I manage a handful of employees, but I don't, I don't own them, right? They're not my slaves, right? Right? You know, I, I had not, you know, I, had, I didn't supply them, right? They have been entrusted to me, and I seek to steward them in a way that glorifies God and exercises their personal gifts and pushes the mission of Conduit Ministry um, further down the path, right? And so we understand that when we talk about stewardship within the church, we're, we're talking about managing something that is not our own. Managing something that we don't own, that we have not supplied on our own. Now, of course, elephant in the room is, is that when we talk about stewardship, when we talk about stewarding resources in the church, we're mostly talking about what? Sometimes the pastor, to kind of like smooth it over, will say, well, we manage our time, right? And we manage our, our gifts, and we manage our, um, our, our abilities and special talents, and we... And we um, we, 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 we manage or steward our <coughs> money, money. <clears throat> because no one wants to talk about, right, no one wants to talk about money. No one wants to talk about the stuff that's in our wallet or the stuff that we put in the bucket in the back or the thing that you donate online because as soon as you talk about money, you begin to talk about things that hit really close to people's heart. And I know that anytime something like, makes me squirm in my seat, like when someone else is talking about it, or like makes me feel a little uncomfortable maybe, or like kind of pricks that area of my soul, um, I, I know that it's like, that 
deep down inwardly, like there's something really foundationally important and special about this thing because I wouldn't be reacting this way if it were just, you know, like not important. Um, so we're not going to, I won't mince any words uh, with you about it. There is a huge, large portion about uh, this message about being uh, no ordinary steward about our money. That is about our, our financial resources, okay? Um, scripture, scripture tells us that we are stewards of everything that is God's. In fact, Psalm uh, chapter 1 says that the Lord, or the world, is the Lord's and everything in it. All who live. That, that this place that we live on, this floating rock speeding through the universe. It belongs to him who created it. It belongs, it is owned by something. Its life is supplied by something. And those people are not you and I. Meaning all of the resources that exists, everything that exists, the earth is the Lord's and what? Everything that is in it belongs to him. And so what I personally have, and what you personally have, and what we collectively have belongs to him. And we have the opportunity, while we are here, to take what God has. He has entrusted it to us. And we get to steward it, and manage it, and work with it, and use it. And there are certainly ways he gives us the freedom to use it, really, in whatever way we see fit. But with great freedom comes what? Great responsibility, right? And there is, there are, there are ways in which we think about resources that are both godly. You see, we, we are called to manage what belongs to God, so that, so that together we may accomplish what is important to God. God is, God, we, we manage what belongs to Him so that we can accomplish what is important to Him. Now, ultimately, this, this strikes at the heart um, of, of everything that is modern America. Or the modern world, right? That that we work hard for our money, want with it, right? But but no ordinary steward, no ordinary family, no ordinary Holy Spirit, no ordinary Scripture has said that there is so much more to life than simply what you want to get out of it. See, what's important to God is the mission that God has here on earth. Did you know that the church doesn't have a mission? I mean, we do, right? We talk about how churches have mission statements, right? And we pray, Lord, help us to accomplish our mission. So we have, we have a mission statement over here, and then we pray that the Lord would help us to 
It's the mission that he has set. Uh, but it's really kind of the opposite way, right? God, God has a mission. Okay, the church doesn't have a mission. God has a mission. And what God has in order to accomplish his mission is what? The church. Right? So, so typically we think of it as like the church has a mission. We have a mission statement. So let's go get ourselves a miracle working, sovereign, super awesome God to help us accomplish this mission. All right? and, and it's really like, I wanted to say a bad word there, but it's, like, it's completely backwards, right? It's completely backwards. God has a mission. God has a mission. And God has a church to accomplish his mission, right? So, so what the church needs to do is get on board, not with its own idea of what happened in the world or in the city or in your family, right? But the church on board with what God wants done here, with what God wants done in your family, with what God wants done in this city. And there are lots of ways that we could go about communicating, use all kinds of different vocabulary and words and, and, and theology, and, and we can outline a bunch of different things. But listen, ministries, the leadership team, the pastors, the staff have decided to try communicate or define what we believe God's mission in the world, God's mission in the city is, is that God desires fullness, redemption, and salvation for every man, woman, and child. Every single one. Not a, not a single one left behind, right? No man left behind woman left behind, no child left behind. That God desires for them to be whole. That God desires for them to be redeemed. That God desires for them to be reconciled to himself through the blood of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's, what, that's the way that we've chosen to communicate the, the, the mission of God. And there are lots of ways that you can go about communicating that. But, listen, suffice it to say... Since we that's, that's the way we've chosen to communicate it, now we're at the point as a church, as no ordinary family, of knowing what's important to God, okay? And so we want to pool everything that belongs to him that he's entrusted to us to accomplish that thing. Stewardship is about managing what belongs to God to accomplish what is important to God. Wholeness, redemption, and salvation for every man, woman, and child is what is important to God. And so everything that we have, we want to use as a lever to accomplish that. Now, what's a, you know, what the whole series is like, no ordinary blank, right? And today it's no ordinary steward. The thing about like, okay, well, what's the ordinary way that we tend to think about our resources? We tend to think about our money. That we tend to think about all of these things that we're talking about when we talk about stewardship. Um, well, like, I was just, I mean, I was thinking about it. I was like preparing this sermon. I was like, okay, well, what's an ordinary way that you think about money? I'll just use money because it's easy to think about, right? Well, when I think about money, I think like, okay, 
We want to accumulate it. We want to accumulate money. We want to save money. When I have, like, when my wallet is full, right, and I'm a pastor, so I, like, blow my nose with 20s, right? It's got, like, this big old thick wallet, right? Um, that that I, I walk around feeling like I got a lot of power, right? Money? Money is, like, gives me power to do the things that I want to do in life. You think about it in another way, and you think, like, okay, maybe not power so much. You're a, you're a redeemed person, so you don't think about power. You think about freedom. I'm financially free. I can do what I, like, I don't, I don't have any holding me down. Or I, can have, uh, I can have fun, right? I have peace of mind. Well, these are kind of ordinary thoughts that we think about when we think about resources, when we think about money, accumulation, saving, power, freedom, uh, peace of mind. Now, I'm not going to say that any of these are inherently bad, okay? It's not wrong to save money. It's not wrong to accumulate possessions. It's not, it's not, it's not wrong to think, about, to think about your future. It's not, it's not wrong to have fun, right? It's not, it's not wrong to desire freedom that comes with being debt-free, owing no man, no thing, so that you are free to do the things that God has called you to do, right? So don't get me wrong, it's not universally a bad thing to accumulate resources, to save money, to desire financial freedom, right? What is wrong is that when we take things that God has entrusted to us and we leverage and use them for our own vision of what's important in life, and we don't ever consider what God has called us to do, to take an unordinary look at the things that he's given to us. Because an ordinary look is to not care about anything other than our own needs, right? I'm, I'm working hard to accumulate the stuff so I can provide for myself the things that I need, right? And we'll baptize that whole statement and being like, well, man, I'm just trying to feed my kids. Just trying to pay my bills. I get it, all right? I'm there too. I get it. But, but let's understand the delicate balance that the scripture calls us to strike there. I've got like uh, four main points here. And um, we're going to try and move them awfully quick. It's a little warm in here. Beer. It's got like, I, okay, some people have been asking, right? So I just got to say, it. no, I'm not cutting it off for, the, for the, the summer. I've got like two and a half months more before I've been growing it for a year. And when we hit that year mark, then we'll talk. But until then, don't talk about cutting the beard off. It ain't going anywhere, all right? Lord, help me. Here we go. No ordinary steward, all right? No ordinary steward gives away the best that they have. You want to think about ordinary ways, ordinary ways to think about money and resources and wealth and finances. Okay, right? Usually that's about like, man, I'm going to take the best and I'm going to keep the, keep the best for myself. The leftovers go to everyone else. 
Me first, others second. That's an ordinary view, right? Nothing wrong with that view, all right? But it's ordinary. If we want to be like, if we want to take an unordinary perspective on finances, an unordinary perspective on, on money, on resources, on gifts, right? Uh, an unordinary perspective, to take the very best, and I'm going to give the very best that I have away. You see, the primary way that Scripture talks about giving away the very best of what you have is this, like, borderline swear word in church. It starts with a T, right? It's called a tithe. Now, all, all through Christian history and all through Jewish history, all through, we should say, biblical history, there's this been the idea of a tithe. And we first see the idea of a tithe originally back in Genesis chapter 15, where Abraham, right, the father of the Israelite nation, gave 10% of what he had, right, to the priest Melchizedek as an offering to the Lord. And everyone, Abraham was like, hey, whoa, 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 no, 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 we don't need that. That was like your, 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 your prime livestock and, and all of your wealth. And what Abraham, Abraham was like, man, it is not mine and I do not want it, and like if I'm given anything, I'm given the very best of what I have. It was an unordinary perspective. It was a perspective of their, what I have, look man, I know that what I have is not my own, and so I'm not going to hoard it like it is my own. I'm going to do the best that I can to give it away in a way that honors the one that gave it to me. My wife and I um, thing that we do. She doesn't know I'm going to tell this story, but it's all right. Um, we have this thing that we do. We like um, we used to live in Frewsburg, right? And now we live close to Frewsburg. And there's this little pizza shop in Frewsburg called the Frewsburger, right? And they make this pizza called uh, Chicken Gold. All right. It's like chicken fingers and mozzarella and cheddar cheese and this like hot honey mustard sauce. Like, hmm. And so we call and like every so often we'll call and order some and we're like, hey bro, like listen man, extra chicken. I don't care what it takes. I don't care how much it costs. Like double the chicken. You sure you want double? Double the chicken. Double the chicken. All right, see ya. Click. We get it home. We open the box. We both stand over top of it. We're looking at it like, and we both do this thing. We're like, mm, what's the best piece, right? And we have this conversation. What is like? Okay, it's the perfect size, right? The 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 most amount of chicken, right? Perfect ratios of cheese, like cheese is like what is the best piece? Because the idea is you want to identify the best piece and you want to scoop it up before the other one gets it, right? I don't know. Uh, this is only the right? Because you between me and pizza, not a good thing, okay? So this is the only the Lord has accomplished this in our marriage is like we try and pick out the best piece so the other one can have it, right? Oh, I know. I, I know. It's like I'm just, just the kind of person I am, you know? I... Um, 
I'm just, I'm, I don't know, I'm just like, I'm the most humble person I know. So I try to do things like that all the time for my wife. But no, like we pick out the best piece and we're like, no, babe, you got to have that one. And no, you have it. No, I don't, I don't want it. No, no, you got this one. Look how perfect it is. And so we go through this battle of who's going to get the best piece, right? And, and this is exactly what no ordinary steward does when it comes to the things that they have, right? Is that they, they look at what is the best portion of what I have. Now the best portion of what I have is going away, right? And of course the Bible calls this the tithe, which the word tithe literally means tenth. That's where we get the idea of giving the first 10% of your, of, your, of your pay, of, your, of the money that you have, um, to the Lord, right? Um, and, and so a no, no ordinary steward gives away the best that they have. Not the leftovers, not the seconds, not the thirds, the best. No, number two, no ordinary steward not only gives away the best that they have, but they are eager and excited about the privilege of giving. You can have an ordinary perspective, which is like, ah, ah, I know I should. Okay, okay, I will. Right? All right, you're like, it's a step in the direction, right? Step in the right direction. But no ordinary steward is like eager, excited, not about the opportunity to give, but about the privilege. Bibles or in your Bibles to um, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And I've preached on this uh, portion of scripture before, so it's not new to us um, as a church. We see this portion of 2 Corinthians chapter 8 where, where Paul is writing a letter to the Corinthian church. Now, the Corinthian church was, in a matter of comparison, Paul's most wealthy church that he planted. Corinth was a very, like, cosmopolitan, metro, um, uh, very, um, like, there was a lot. Corinth had this little... Um, channel that ran through the middle of it that separated the Aegean and the Mediterranean was like a major travel route, trade route, right? So it was just really wealthy place, okay? And Paul was doing to the Corinthians and he was telling them, he was encouraging them using the example of some of his other churches that he had planted in Macedonia, churches like Galatia. Um, Philippi, Thessalonica, right? Where we get the letters to of Galatians, Philippians, Thessalonians, okay? And as he was writing this, he was writing this really wealthy church using the example of a really poor church to say these things. First uh, Corinthians or Second Corinthians chapter eight. He says, uh, 
What verse do we have up here? Let's do, um, we'll start at verse 1. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Verse 3, For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Verse 4, Entirely on their own. Listen. Entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. This is an incredible little statement here. Because what Paul does is he says to the biggest, richest church in all of the New Testament, he says, hey, what I want you to know is that the churches that are going through the hardest, most significant trial, the churches who are extremely poor are urgently pleading with me. Urgently pleading that I would allow them to fund my trip to you so that I can pastor you. So they think of all these, these poor churches, and they're like, Paul, Paul, listen, we don't have a lot. We know that. We've been going through a hard time. It's really difficult up here. But if you're going to Corinth, if your desire is to go there and to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, man, that is something that we want to be a part of. That is something that we want to get on board with. So, so please, 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 Allow us, let us, we, we really, really, really are excited about this opportunity to support you financially, to get you there, to provide everything that you need so that the gospel can be heard in Corinth. And Paul was like, guys, I get it, thank you, the sentiment is amazing, but you just need to keep have, you know, like, save it, you know, like, Take care of your families. Take care of your church. Take care of each other. And they're like, no, you don't understand. We are excited to do this. We are eager to do it. Please, let, this is a privilege that we get to participate. Participate in the redemption of people in Corinth by not even going there. We don't have to go there to participate. We can just, we can support you financially and send you. And that's a way that we like, bolt ourselves to the mission of God in Corinth. And then when Paul finally was like, oh, I mean, how can I argue with that? He was like, hey, Corinth, let me do this to encourage you. If the Macedonian churches who are extremely poor and are going through severe trials can well up with extreme generosity and urgently plead with, with me for the privilege of sharing the gospel, then how much more effective can you be, Corinth? Like, can you imagine if you had the same spirit within you, what God would do with the measure of resources that he has entrusted to you? 
And so Paul is using the Macedonian church as an example to build up the faith of the Corinthian churches. Why? You know, it's like, you know, I would sometimes go to my house and she, all, she would take all of us cousins to church, right? And um, she would take dollars out of her purse and she would pass them, pass them down so, so each cousin had a dollar, right? Because, because we, and we would always fight over who got the, the dollar. Why? Because there was just something like, in our innocence, there was something exciting about having that dollar to put in the plate when it came around. Like, we, we wanted to do it. It was, it was, we were eager to do it. We were excited to do it. Now, why? Why, though? Why be excited and eager? Because, listen, the reason that the Macedonians were excited and eager, the reason that you and I should work being excited and eager is because we understand that giving the best of what we have holds the potential of creating the best in someone else's life. That the richness that has saved my soul, the richness of the gospel that has redeemed my life, the richness of the gospel that has brought wholeness to me, is waiting on the doorstep of someone else's life. And the greatest experience of someone else's life may be swinging in the balance of my generosity to the mission and kingdom of God. Do you understand that? Do you understand that what God has entrusted to you may be, for lack of a better term, the golden ticket of wholeness, redemption, and salvation for someone else. It may be it. And so, if you have a heart for lost people, right? If you have a heart for those that are drowning in brokenness, whose lives are falling apart, who do not know salvation through Jesus Christ, then your eagerness and expectation your eagerness and excitement and urgency to bring your resources into the kingdom of God should be like bubbling within you. Because this right here, this is the third thing. We give, no ordinary steward, give so that others may believe. That's why we give. That's why, we, that's why we have a bucket in the back. You think I'm joking. We give so that others may believe. Do you know how many people have come to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ in this building? You know how many people have come to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ through I Am Love initiatives or out in ministry on the food truck or in personal ministry with one of the staff, or with one of you, right? You know, how many, you know how many people have come to believe whose lives have been changed, who have, who have been made whole, who have been redeemed, who have come to know Jesus Christ through the ministry of conduit. And that's not, no, listen, listen, that's not to brag. That's not, that, that's not a brag at all. But what I'm saying is that every single penny 
every dime, nickel, quarter, every dollar, right? Everything that we get goes into pouring into the idea that every time something is given, it's so that someone else might believe. Well, what about much to do with anyone believing? What about the air conditioning that's blowing right now? It doesn't have any much to do with uh, people believing. With the nice uh, new doors that we got out front, that doesn't have uh, much to do with anyone believing. And I would respond in two ways. Um, I agree and I disagree. Okay? Because I'll tell you what, if we took this kind of like bare bones perspective about every single dollar that we brought in here was only going to be used to send missionaries and evangelists on the street corner. All right, you tell me how many of you will be in this room on a Sunday morning in January if we decide to stop paying the heat bill. How many? Zero. Right? Because it's not like we think about it so like black and white. Right? So, so linear. Like, well, I, if I give money to the mission, then it needs to go to just saving people's souls. Well, okay. Um, I get it, right? But um, we create environments here. We create communities here. We create opportunities here that, that people can engage in grace filled, mercy-filled, safe places where the Holy Spirit encounters them in a new and real way. And to have a place to do that, a place that's comfortable and warm in the winter and cool in the summer and inviting and nice, right? It makes a difference. And I, I, can tell you, I can tell you right now, off the top of my head, last year's Conduit Ministries budget, 2018 budget, we had budgeted almost, I'm do quick, math is hard, so I'm going to do it quick in my head, okay? Um, almost 42% of the annual budget went straight to what we would just generally defined as mission work or work that it was immediately like 100% like arrowed at outreach 42% others were staffing programming um, facilities utilities so overwhelmingly so we give so that others may believe. The mission is what matters most. And so we, we give on another's behalf. Listen, we give so that, like, picture it this way. Picture if there was like a big, big grand piano right here in the middle of the floor. And we needed to move, we needed to pick that piano up and carry it over top of the pews and move it to the back of the church. Like, you might be, you might fall into the trap of saying, all right, like where, let's get the like eight or ten strongest guys in the church, 
send them up front, and, and we'll all cheer them on as eight or ten strongest lift the piano and, and move it to the back. And, and will that work? Um, well, yeah, technically it, 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 it may work. It may let the biggest, strongest people carry the biggest, strongest, or the biggest, heaviest thing. But you know what works even better than that? What works even better than that is 50 people who say, you know what? Um, I don't care for piano music, nor, nor do I really expect to benefit much personally from carrying the piano to the back of the church. But what I do understand is that when there is a mission to accomplish, when there is, when there is a goal to be reached, that the more people we have around the piano, the quicker we will get it moved. And so I will not just sit and watch the eight or ten strongest pick it up and carry it back, but that I will, in whatever way possible, even if I can only reach it with one finger and lend one finger of support, I will do that because I understand the, the importance of the mission over whether or not I like the piano or will personally benefit from it. Fourth and final this morning, <clears throat> no ordinary steward, no ordinary steward, we do not compare our generosity with others so that we feel either good or bad. We refuse to compare our generosity with others. You see, what the temptation is here, because I've been there, all right? The temptation is, is that, well, I can't really give anything. Just the season of life I'm in, or the place that I'm in, like, I've got so little already that giving something is like, it just doesn't even make, it wouldn't even like put a dent in the mission. So I just like, I don't because I know that this person over here is giving a ton and so it just looks silly, right? It just looks silly. Look, generosity, giving is not a measure of comparison. It's not a measure of I give more than this person so I feel better. Or, I give less than person so I can feel worse, right? If everyone, right, if, like, if everyone went to the church that Bill Gates goes to, right, no one would compare, right? But, but generosity and giving is not a matter of comparison. It's not a matter of who gives more, who is best, who gives the most, or who gives uh, the least, if you look in Paul's letter from uh, Corinthians that we already read, right? In verse 2 he says, we already read this, Out of their most severe trial, their overflowing joy, and their extreme 
poverty welled up in rich generosity. He didn't talk really, he doesn't talk there about the amount or the measure, right? What does Paul do? He shines a spotlight on the condition of their heart. That despite how much they had or didn't, they were, it was well up in extreme generosity. And extreme generosity for the Macedonians looks much different than it looks like for the Corinthians. So much different, but it doesn't change the orientation of the heart. Later in the same letter, verses 10 and 12, and he says, he says this. He says, here's my advice about what is best for you in this matter. He's talking about, like, what matter is he talking about? He's like, the Corinthians' willingness to financially support him for other missionary endeavors. He was like, and here's my advice about what is best for you in this matter. You were the first, uh, not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now, finish the work so that your eagerness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. That, that generosity for the Lord, that, the, that the, picture of, the picture of supporting movement of the kingdom in Scripture is about like which church, which person, which family can give more, how much am I giving now? How much, am I, how much, how generous can I be in comparison to the people around me? The picture of generosity and giving within scripture is like, all right, God has entrusted these things to me, to me personally. He hasn't entrusted them to you. He hasn't entrusted them to you. He's entrusted them to me. So what am I personally going to do? How am I personally going to manage what God has given to me in a way that glorifies and honors him. How am I going to think of others first before I think of myself? Listen, we give so that others may believe. We give so that others may believe. I'm going to leave you with this scripture as the worship team comes forward. All of this, every bit of generosity, sacrifice, every bit of giving others may believe is rooted in the life and example of Jesus Christ. Right? We give so that others may believe. We give the best of what we have so that someone else may experience the best of what God has for them because that is what Christ did for us. Paul tells the Corinthian believers in the same letter, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, he says, listen, I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. Listen, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes 
he became poor. So that through his poverty, you might become rich. Jesus gave. Jesus gave so that others might believe. Out of his extreme wealth, he gave everything that he had. So that through his gift, others may believe. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes, he became poor. So that through you, his poverty, so that through his poverty, you might become rich. Let us live like Jesus, love like Jesus, and serve like Jesus. Being no ordinary stewards. Father, we thank you this morning for your word, for your spirit. We thank you, Lord, for your sacrifice. A sacrifice made on our behalf by Jesus Christ. That in the richness of his authority, Lord, Jesus had everything. Your word says that you had seated him at your right hand. That there was nothing in this whole, uh, nothing in all of creation that was made or had been made, or would be made, that was not subject to his lordship. There was no other name that was above his name. That you placed all things um, as his footstool, Lord. He all, yet, Lord, for our sake, Jesus became poor. Yet for our sake, Jesus gave, not just a little bit, but Jesus gave everything. He gave the best of what he had, Lord, that we might experience the best of what you have for us. Lord, let it be so also in our lives. Lord, speak through and past and over our own doubts. Speak through and past our own grumbling of heart that says, I work hard for what I have, and it's mine. No one else has provided it for me, and no one else will take it away. Lord, ruin our pride this morning. Lord, and let us see that everything that we have, every thought that we have, every breath that we take, every step that we take, Lord, every gift, every resource, every penny that we possess has been given to us by you. Lord, turn our hearts towards the mission that you have for this world. In Jesus' name, amen.